God, the priest of the Israelites. You could put fake doctor though. That's not legally actionable. No, I'm just kidding. What's up? Welcome to Smite Me. Wow, that was like the public radio version. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wanted to see how long you could do it. What's up? This uh-huh. is Smite Me. Um, we're reading the Torah today and every day. I'm with my co-hosts, Josh Marcus. Howdy, y'all. And Ayani Hayashi. Hey, hey, hey. And our guest today is my friend Aaron Lerner. What's up, Aaron? Hello. Um, yeah, Aaron and I were friends in high school, and I he's someone who has invited me to like esoteric Jewish text reading groups and stuff like that. And I just felt like he's someone who's pretty well read in this kind of stuff. And I was interested in having his insight. So glad to have him here. Ooh, I kind of went back into like public radio vibes with mm. that. I was going to say, I do kind of want to do a, a bonus episode where we speak in hushed tones mm. and don't swear and see how long <laughs> we can make it. That would be really fun. <laughs> the most essential as a, a lifelong consumer of public radio, the most essential sound you need is to, when someone, when a white journalist is listening to a non-white person describe like something, you know, really really hard for that they go mm, mm. like they're almost like having a sip of nice coffee it's like the, mm, yeah i was mm. gonna say it's like <laughs> as like personal and and dare i say grotesque as like listening to someone eat <laughs> it's like okay that's that's your own thing it's yeah it's like or i don't know there's only so much you can really i don't know it's just a funny sound <laughs> Well, shit, does anyone have any uh, smiteable deeds for us to uh, get into? Did anyone do anything that we, the text might find mm. objectionable? Yeah, I'll just jump in. Um, I didn't do Havdalah this week. I regret that. Um, and I'm not putting on, I haven't put on Tefillin for a very long time. I Just because I believe I'm supposed to means that, and I'm supposed to, but I haven't. So, yeah. I haven't done, I haven't done my my religious obligations. But you know what? No one's perfect. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. And you're the most in in that sense. You're the most perfect to the four of us by yeah. leagues and leagues, <laughs> leagues and, and leagues. leagues. <laughs> yeah. For because when you said Havdalah for a second, it flashed in my mind. I was like, I don't think I remember what that is. And then I was That's like, what, Oh no, you know, you know I, I know, I do, I knew, I did it many times. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> I it's, know what it is. I just didn't know what it was. It's the okay. big. It's the big closer. It's Shabbat's big closer. Yeah, they have the they have the fun candle. That's what, that's what I remember. Yeah, it's the big candle. Uh, technically, you just need to actually tie two candles together, and then um, you tie two candles together and you light it. You say a few blessings, and that closes the Shabbat. And if you're if you're a very religious Jew or Hasidic Jew, you believe that every mitzvah you do helps bring the world you kind of reunite the sparks and bring the holy unite the holiness with the mundane and every time you do that you help bring you help bring the world closer to the era of the mashiach or messiah so and i believe that why i believe that i don't know i just believe it right so i feel like if i'm not doing my part i'm supposed to be doing it but that maybe that's just my special like sense of chosenness but i guess we're uh we're a chosen community right That's yeah what the oh no i think says. it's a really it's a beautiful idea and i feel like it's pretty in the portion that we're going to be or like some of the foundations of some of the things you're talking about are in the in the portion we're going to read and i think even around. if it's not like a prescribed religious ceremony there's something to be said about ritual totally. um, especially like your own little personal ones like whether you you know, slap yourself in the face before you do a basketball game or <laughs> you're like me and you're like the perfect amount before I go on stage to play is exactly three quarters of a pint of beer is like prime playing. And it's like if you don't have that ratio right or whatever, mm. you'll feel off. And like so I understand that that, you know, the um, it felt like something you were supposed to do and you didn't do. But you know what? There's always next week, baby. This is not as uh as beautiful as uniting the world and bringing about like the better era, but 
um, before I would play high school soccer games, I wouldn't even play this out loud, but in my head, I would think about um, uh, the song Caught Up by Madonna. It's just, That's not what I was expecting by. to say. <laughs> so slowly, I don't know, that song just really fired me up. I was really but, expecting a, a Lose Yourself or a Till no, I Collapse. No, no, I would like, that's what they would play on the school bus on the way to the, the game. The Madonna song? I, no, the Lose Yourself or Till I Collapse. Okay. And I would kind of like pretend that I fucked with it, but in my head. <laughs> it's ultimate, all Madonna all the way. You're like, yeah. I was like, it's hey, like I can't wait till this guy shuts up so that I can really focus <laughs> yeah. on recreating that so can, Madonna song, yeah. playing that perfect MP3 that's stored in my brain. That's true. I, my medulla oblongata. <laughs> what, yes. a, what a nice coincidence that she also was really into Kabbalah for really Yeah, true. Madonna, come on the pod. It's... That would so be a funny huge how, fucking get for us. That would, oh yeah, just for us. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for us, for me personally. Um, but yeah, I just I feel like Madonna getting into Kabbalah made certain people really upset, and I don't know. Maybe there's some validity to that, but I don't know. I feel like that was a whole spectacle that there from was when like I was a, a kid. I feel like there were like Kabbalah and Kabbalah, like celebrity Kabbalah jokes was like a big thing for a second. I feel like like I was watching a, a rerun of Gilmore Girls recently, and they like made some Kabbalah joke. I'm like, why? Well, it's why? like, I mean, <laughs> I know this isn't what Kabbalah is, but how celebrities were using it mm-hmm. felt like it was like, okay, I want to do Scientology, but I kind of want to make it Jewish. <laughs> well, I think I think a lot of celebrities like have this like they reach such a pinnacle of professional success, they have this crisis of meaning, and they need something to fill in this void and. Luckily, in our world, we have when there's a need, there's something to fill it, be that a substance or some spiritual religious system that feels interesting or exotic, and you can find that easily. Um, actually, this past year, I worked a lot with adults with developmental disabilities, and one thing I really liked about them and admired is that they really do have struggles, but they they don't they don't really have existential depression like. Like a lot of adults with, let's say, like high functioning autism or whatever, like they don't have this, like, what is the meaning of my life? Why am I here? They don't have these questions. They just live their lives. And like, like when they get a job, that's accomplishment is meaningful to them. When they get a job or they do something at reach an achievement, that's huge for them, right? But but they don't have this like, why am I here? What is the purpose of this? Like they they kind of get on a more basic level better than Madonna. What's the the purpose of it? They don't even ask that question. Uh I'm like, wow. And and honestly, it helped me with my own mental health to just see them just like, just live, right? Like, yes, I don't want to undermine their struggles, the traumas they have or the the challenges they face in our society. But like the fact is like, they don't, they're not questioning why they're living. They just live. They just go to day program. They just go to their, their job. And they just live day in, day out. And that's just like, and it reminded me also, I was watching a video of these like uh, hunter-gatherer communities in Tanzania. And it's like, uh, this guy was asking like, what's the purpose of life? And their response was like, well, just to, to find meat, to find meat and to cook for the next day. Very simple. And yep. I think there's like, I think sometimes the more privilege you have, the more you like unnecessarily complicate life. So that's something I really learned this past year. Yeah. I also think it's like I've never is it I mean maybe Aaron this is just basically a question for you especially since you've studied it far more than someone like I have because I've studied nothing um is that like can you really like just get into mysticism in the way that people will be like oh I'm like kind of getting into Kabbalah or whatever it kind of feels like it's something that you're like you're kind of down this journey of spirituality and then all of a sudden you kind of like look up one day and you're like oh this doesn't look like Sunday school anymore like we're talking about vessels and fucking like <laughs> beings transcending certain things and you know layers of existence in a way that was not like and Noah was in the ark for 40 days and then there were all the animals and it was wet yeah so just to clarify I would not call myself a mystic I would not call myself a scholar of mysticism or a religious scholar it's just a religious studies major I just read some stuff for fun and uh, just because I think it's interesting and fascinating, there's a lot of great YouTube channels that have all sorts of information. I just mostly just watch YouTube videos for fun. So this is just stuff I pick up from documentaries. I also spent a year studying Israel um, and I feel close to Judaism just because it's part of who I am. 
I think, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating, right? And I think it's just like knowledge out there for anyone who wants to learn. And if you, if it's something you're curious about, you can just learn it. I mean, you don't need to like be a, a call yourself a Kabbalist. You don't need to like go to the Kabbalah Center or whatever. You can just like open up YouTube and just watch channels and start doing whatever gives you meaning, right? I think life is challenging and life is hard. And whatever, as you're saying, like whatever rituals gives gets you through the day, be that a music, meditation, or a prayer, or whatever, is what gets you through life because life is hard. And um, I think whatever gives you meaning and a sense of purpose is is great, right? If that's just, I mean, I just like to learn just because it's my hobby. But if that's like playing music or comedy or whatever, it's whatever ritual you have. I personally think it's good to have some sort of religious or spiritual ritual you do in the morning of the day whatever it is I, that's just my thought but again do you so wait okay i have a question regarding yeah. the because you've sent me some of these these youtube like cool esoteric like book of enoch youtube channels does it ever lead does it ever does the algorithm on youtube ever lead you astray does it ever go from like some cool mysticism stuff to like a little a little more like uh, Alex Jones type of conspiracy, conspiracy theory sort of weird. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I get some, uh, yeah, I get some weird, a lot of like weird, like evangelical Christian stuff that seems to be really into conspiracy stuff. Like they, these people seem to really believe the apocalypse could happen tomorrow, which is kind of missing the point. Cause I have a close friend of mine who is a monk, I, monk friend of mine who was kind of saying the whole point of like apocalyptic texts is to kind of I guess that they could apply to every generation if you actually look at the meaning of the term apocalypse it means like transition or like a renewal so I mean even if you literally look at like the fall of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and Jesus's death like you could say that was an apocalypse I mean that was the end of the world the Israelites knew for like over a thousand years the destruction of the temple the sacrifices that come up in this is Parsha that was the end of their world a complete end of it. I mean, wasn't quite the end of Rome. Rome was at its height, but like it was the end of that world for that population, those ancient Israelites. And they had to find meaning in, in the destruction of the temple. And that's what gave birth ultimately to rabbinic Judaism and, and uh, Christianity. And I think um, these, what happens when worlds fall apart, whatever your world is, be it, be it your nation, your, your, your temple or whatever, you humans are very resilient and they build new things and find new meanings and continue going. And I think uh, a lot, we, there's a lot we can learn from some of these texts in the wake of coronavirus right now, which is like, it feels apocalyptic, right? And like the last few years, I think have felt apocalyptic for many of us. But if you actually look at world history, I mean, it's just like, this is nothing compared to what our ancestors experienced. And we should give ourselves credit for the resilience, but also realize like, getting through tough shit is, 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 is part of life. And I think anyone who's like faced any challenge knows that. I mean, getting through, we all get through, or for the most part, we all have to get through tough shit, which is why it's so infuriating when you meet someone who hasn't really gone through like a lot of shit. Everyone goes through shit, but I think that's part of the reason too, where it's like, how come you don't understand these like really basic things of like empathy or whatever, because you know, but that's a fucking different tangent. Should we uh, yeah. fucking hop into this? Sure, uh, unless one of the three, because so far all three Smite Me boys have evaded um, <laughs> admitting to a smiteable deed. I'm a fucking saint. I don't I know mean, what you're talking about. I mean, we could all copy, we could all just go with Aaron's, which is that none of us did Havdalah or did any of the stuff we're supposed to do. That's true. Jews. That's very true. I broke hundreds of mitzvahs maybe that every was, day. Maybe that was the, the, the big all-time Smite me. That's I true. broke mitzvahs like they were turtle dove skulls. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get into. Does Whoa. that not make sense, listeners? We're gonna get into it. We so should, y'all should look at the peregrine falcons. Apparently, falcons in New York have more chicks than they do in the wild because there's so many like pigeons, which are the same as doves in New York, and they just they love falcons. Love New York. So much <laughs> like, I love New York. It's the best city on the oh, planet. I want a shirt that says "Falcons Heart New York." <laughs> well, it's kind of fun too because they're 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 spread out. Like especially peregrine falcons are spread out through the entire North American continent. So who knows? They might have conversations about like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. my uncle mm-hmm. down in New York. You know, and they have it so fucking good. He had eight kids. I will say, like, I one time looked a peregrine falcon in the eye 
but my grandparents lived in Chicago and I went on the roof of their apartment building. There's a Peregrine Falcon there. And I felt like I was looking in the eye of like another a being on a whole different plane of existence than me. It was just sort of looking at me just like Was it scary? Not scary. It was just strange. It was like, what are you? Like and I could just tell, I could just see how powerful it was for like, how it looked I'm to me. I'm a bird. And then it was your grandpa. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminded me of one time I saw um, Eric Trump crossing the street in New York. And he looked at me like I was just a fucking peon. And I felt like <laughs> the Falcon gave me a, a similar look. You saw Eric Trump? Yeah, it was him and like whoever like his kind of new Near like the Fox News building or whatever? Uh, it was uptown somewhere. And he had, it was a huge like New York block crosswalk and he had his giant secret service guys ahead of him and then like a long gap and then he was there with I eric's believe. the gummy one right <laughs> eric's the, the eric's gummy the, one the gummy one he's like more <laughs> translucent than uh don jr is that are, are so, we talking about his spiritual state or like as, no, a, as a man like, like physically like light passes through a better yeah yeah word um so anyway that's that's some stuff on Madonna, Kabbalah, and Eric, <laughs> Trump, and Falcons. <laughs> no, just to conclude, I mean, like, if you actually look at the Bible, like, it lists which birds you can eat and which you can't. Basically, the birds you can't eat are, like, the birds of prey, and it just shows that, like, the experience that you had with that falcon, like, the people who wrote the Bible had the similar, same experience with those birds of prey, and, like, it just shows, like, humans love birds of prey. Yeah, we, love them. we, we fuck with raptors. We love those raptors. <laughs> Do we? I feel like a lot of people... Even compassionate people who, in theory, love animals are like, I don't fuck with birds. I do not like. Well, but birds. that's like, I feel like that's like stinky birds. <laughs> Where do we draw that? Like, fuck these. Here's what's really important: clean and stinky birds. You know, yeah. is, is it? Are, do bird. they fly? Who cares? Clean birds, stinky birds. I just think dads birds, wouldn't have much to say birds. if they couldn't say, "Yeah, oh, I think there's a red-tailed hawk." Yeah. <laughs> at least in uh, in Northern California. All right, should we jump into yeah, this? Yeah, let's do it. I'm not even going to continue down that thought because I have lots of them. But <laughs> look, we could do hawk talk all day. Yeah, uh, that's, we, uh... that's... <laughs> welcome. This might be the only Torah Bird podcast. That's true. Um, okay, so I believe the title of we're doing two chapters again, uh, or two parshas to again parshot. Because, uh, you know, it's just kind of a little bit more difficult when we're g going through this and there's not a lot of, we kind of structured this show around there being uh, a narrative um, and like moving parts of a story kind of. And there's a few in here, but it's like, this is not like an action scene by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I, they're called, I believe it's Vayikra and Tzva. No one's correcting me. Um, okay, so. I have total faith. Basically, the general the general summary is God is basically giving Moses instructions on how and what you you kill slash burn and how you kind of treat the bodies of these animals and for exactly what uh, you know for what kind of circumstances and which kinds of sacrifices there are. So, big things that we're dealing with here are going to be cows. It's going to be sheep, sheepies. Um, always a Bible classic. We're going to be doing goats and we're going to be dealing with birds and what are called like meal cakes, which is basically like unleavened bread. Is it like showbread? It's it's I believe this is what they were referring to when they said showbread, because um, it doesn't really seem like it's meant to be edible in a lot of cases. The other summary of all that being is there's like three kinds of sacrifices you can make. There's basically a, what they call like the sin offering, which is, I guess, when you did something bad. When you did a no-no, committed a boo-boo. When you're bad and you know it. Um, I, Then there is the other one that I didn't really get, see, have a name, but it seemed like that was more in the realm of, like, you didn't straight up do the evil thing, but you did some stuff you shouldn't do. So we're kind of going to, like, it seemed more, like, societally punitive than uh, necessarily, like, spiritually punitive. And then there's the peace offering, which is, like, hey, priests, y'all want a cow? And then they kill the cow or whatever it is. Um, and that's like a good fun one and you can give it as a way of thanking God or you can give it as a way of just like, let's have fun. This was a great thing. They kind of go over a lot of like the specific practices of what you do with the entrails in particular, a lot of kidney talk. Um, it's a huge portion of her kidney talk. Yeah. They tell you how to make the, uh, the different kinds of bread, which a lot of the times kind of seems like they're just baking it multiple times into like charcoal briquettes so that the fire can kind of keep going. Um, that's what I got from it and that's just from my knowledge as someone who used to work in a kitchen that's kind of what it, where i got that idea um 
couple fun notes. Uh, there's a lot of stuff about frankincense going into the bread. Um, you have to get everything with salt, which is kind of nice that God understands that seasoning is important. Yep. Um, pleasing odors. Yeah, also. pleasing odors. And that, that's really a lot of it. Um, oh, I have a note that says this is the worst orientation ever. Not that I've really been to one, but I was imagining like a college orientation. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, so then there's basically a lot of stuff about what's clean, what's not clean. Well, that doesn't really tell you what is clean and what's unclean, but like there's punishments for dealing with stuff that's clean and unclean. And then at the very end of this, basically Moses goes back to the people and they do everything that God told Moses to do with the added bonus that Moses gives Aaron a bath. Um, and then covers him in oil. Um, so much oil. There's a lot of he oil. He pours it on his head, too. So it's not, it's like. And then basically the last line of the uh, the little section we're covering says, like, and everybody did as they were told. Yep. Good little boys there and girls. There were no conflicts. <laughs> and if anyone has anything else to add to the summary portion of it, um, please feel free. But that's, I feel like I kind of hit the the main points. We can get into some of the, the details. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was an accurate yeah. summary of what I read. Yeah, I feel like the the elephant in the room is sort of the why should we care sec question. Sure. Which is yep. like, this is a long list of rules about animal sacrifice and making offerings, uh, you know, which are not really part of contemporary life or contemporary Judaism. So it's just sort of like, why bother? Uh, right, you know, and it's harder. Like, yeah, so it's harder to make a metaphor out of something where it is very when it's a very technical instruction, very manual. literal, very specific. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it like I'm sure people can and people have been like, oh well, this like represents this, or like you can kind of draw an allegory here. But it's at least hard for me when it's like they're just talking about like, look, you got to fucking dissect the animal. You got to take the diaphragm out. And that's where the, that's before the stomach cavity separate that. There's going to be all this fat on the kidneys, not allowed to eat. that. It's like the fat's very, for God. Right. Yeah. So it, it's hard to be like, well, the liver is peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, how did you guys, how do you guys think about that question? How are you? Does it matter to you? Do you think it matters in general? I mean, I think it's, I think it goes in this idea of sacrifice of like certain things are for God and certain things are meant for humans. The first thing I thought of when you said about like certain things were sacrificed or whatnot, like so in the ancient Egypt, how like they'd prepare meals for the gods, and then once the gods had their fill, then the priests just eat the rest of the meal. Nice deal, right? You get to yeah. feed God, <laughs> and then you get to just enjoy the food. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of like goes in deeper into the concept of sacrifice and what does it mean. Um, I mean, as you list out the different animals, you have, like, doves, birds of the sky, animals of the land, and as you mentioned, different allegories. And I think they represent different things. And I know um, I was reading one Parsha weeks ago um, about, like, different how the temple itself, the tabernacle, is made of, like, certain gems and the dolphin skins and different elements of creation, right? And how these different elements of creation... From the water, the sea, the air, the agriculture, animals, whatever, all go into the temple as kind of a metaphor for all these different aspects of creation that God put in the world in the first days of creation, right? Sea, air, land, whatever, and different uh, gems and whatever had different meanings for that. And I think you could see that here, right, where different um, animals speak to different um, a, it speaks to, I think, the very agricultural nature of the society that this was written in. And I think it also speaks to the that um, you're, you're required to give up a significant sacrifice, right? But you're not sacrificing everything. You're not, like, certain things are meant for God, certain things are meant for you. And the whole notion of the sacrifice is that you're giving up something that you could benefit from, but you're not required to give up everything right because you're still supposed to live your life and god still wants us to to live our lives but he wants us to give some of that back to god now we don't today if you if you're religious you don't there's no sacrifice but you might still unless you're like a really hardcore right-wing extremist or something trying to rebuild the third temple and that's another conversation well i mean I, frankly we have time for it but that's <laughs> true but you're i mean i think the point of that is like prayer right the idea of prayer is that you're giving up some time of your day to god right you're not giving up your whole day to god you're giving up some of your day to god 
And the point of that is that there are certain spiritual benefits. I mean, I think it's so particular, right? When I prayed, I do feel like I was, I pray before I went to work and I feel that would kind of mentally prepare me for the work. Now, personally, I meditate more because I think it's better for the mind. And uh, that I just think meditation is, is for me at least, a superior practice to prayer because I just, I mean, the health benefits are very clear. But um, I mean, I think we're beginning to see the, 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 the symbolism of giving up something but not everything and that you're not it's like you're not supposed to commit suicide for god but you're supposed to give up something maintain this relationship well that's that's where i kind of have trouble because you're giving you're sure you're giving something up to god but it's another being's life it's i'm mean, not that i don't enjoy my cheese burgers, but like <laughs> or whatever but i'm just you know i eat meat but it just does i don't know doesn't that kind of throw a wrench in it a little bit that, that they're sacrificing these like animals i mean i, I think it, it depends on your perspective number one i think you said that like using prayer as a way of like giving up time is kind of a sacrifice we should start breaking up increments of time as like sacrificial animals like i've been doing this for a fucking whole turtle dove and i haven't gotten anywhere on this fucking <laughs> editing this show um but then I, I think what is, is also like i think it would be pretty fair to say that while like the text kind of treats you know, says that, like, everything is God's creation and whatever. Like, it's pretty clear about the way it, it, particularly with these animals, it does deal with them in more than just here in, like, very transactional places. So I think in the just straight kind of, like, literal read, I think that it wouldn't really throw a wrench into that idea because I'm not co really convinced that the text really sees the animals as, like, sure beings. Yeah. yeah. No. And it's it just, like, it's... I don't know. It was a whole different universe that the people and yeah. animals were living in when this was all conceived. I think there's like an interesting, um, like a very physical sensory element to it. Like it's, I just get like, it's like kind of stinky and bloody and gory. And, but I think that's sort of, if, if say you were designing a religion, that's a great way to make it all very embodied rather than just like some, some words or some idea. Or yeah, some belief it's like oh no this is like this very physical connection it's like you know you have like they talk about like rubbing the blood my religion which, has guts what does your yeah. religion have <laughs> come, and, <laughs> come and take it um well i think it's also <laughs> like that really speaks yeah. to how much that this tradition has really like evolved because it's very much grounded not it was like you know you were talking about the destruction of the temple and whatever like this religion was very much based off of like a central location and before that like this central kind of structure that exists where like yeah man you gotta fucking put on a show at, at a certain point where it's like you can't just show up to like the big temple in jerusalem and they're like go go connect that's <laughs> funny yeah it's so theatrical it's it talks a bunch about flinging blood at least in my it's very metal like actually flinging. oh it's it's extremely metal I yeah. think metal is probably more just very biblical. <laughs> <laughs> metal is very biblical. Yeah. Well, I think part of the theatrics behind it is the theology behind it, right? Creation in of itself and the whole scene in the Garden of Eden where Adam is given the ability to name the animals, kind of this notion of your custodian of the world, right? Where if we're going to, I think we're going to apply a pretty biblical understanding and a, a pretty rational understanding, even a modern sense of notion that like you can eat some animals, but you can't abuse them or or uh, abuse the natural resources of the earth. Unfortunately, humanity is better at teaching that than following it. And this is part of the theatrics of kind of honoring that relationship of like, who's the one who gave us the ability to have custodianship and be able to use animals to some extent for our own benefit without abusing them is God, right? And I feel like this these detailed sacrifices are just, for whatever reasons, for each step, I don't know the reasons for why you some guts are sacrificed and others aren't or whatever i don't know the reasons for that but i think the general picture i see here is a is, is a recognition of a and a sort of a religious or spiritual honoring of the relationship that god gave us gave us these animals to utilize for our bon benefit to a certain extent but we can't utilize it we can't abuse it right and i think part of giving some of that up symbolically to god is reminding ourselves as humans of of our relationship to this life but that it's still life that we can eat we can eat it, but we can't abuse it, and we need to honor the one who gave us this relationship as a form of sanctifying that that relationship to these creatures. And this is kind of an early 
well, early from point of view, a certain point of view, or just a, a way of of rectifying or recognizing um, that that first theater of Eden. Yeah, I mean that does that is a good point. Like this this book really did start with like, hey, human, the animals they're for you. I made them for you. They're your animals. So here are some animals. But the point is that you can't kill all of them. You can have some of them to eat, right? Especially if certain ones are permitted. Like, right, but you still have dominion over all of them. Ultimately, yes, right? But I don't, I mean, not all of them are permitted to eat, right? You can't, I mean, the Bible's, like, you can't eat eagles, you can't eat hawks. Like, no, I mean, that part of that is probably just because, like, the authors of the text just had such an admiration for birds of prey. As we mentioned before, I mean, we just, we love them. I mean, just look at the flags of so many Do countries. Do you think that's, I don't know about that. I feel like a lot of the co- the rules of Kashrut are because we find certain animals to be disgusting or like bottom feeders or like, you know, pigs that it's not because we have such reverence for pigs, right? It's because we're like, ew, gross. They're little mud pigs. They're literally little piggies. Which is sad because pigs are actually very intelligent and very clean and very, right. I, I so love we should pigs. Eat them. Yeah. I love, I love pigs. I won't I've eat pigs because I, I, personally, I would love a pet pig. But anyway, um, I think, I mean, part of it I think is like, you're not allowed to eat lions, right? Like lions are big cats. Those are forbidden. It's not like we love big cats. We don't like them when they take when they take our sheep, but we still admire them for what they are, and they have such a a resonance and and uh, for for humans, right? They represents like royalty and strength and courage, and just across cultures, these big cats and these birds of prey just have such a powerful symbolism. I think within Kashrut. You have both like, oh, because we think these animals are dirtier for whatever reason, we can't eat them. And then we have like, oh, wow, these animals are so cool, man. Like, you better just respect them. But if they kill your sheep, which is, yeah. Yeah, don't go killing Aaron's sheep. Yeah. If you're listening and you're a lion, <laughs> leave Aaron's sheep alone. Yeah. Um, okay, where does the reverence come in, though? Because, so, as we were saying, it gets very detailed about, like, exactly sort of what you sacrifice and how you sacrifice and exactly which bits go in the fire and which not. Where does the reverence really come in where you like break the head off of a dove, squeeze it like it's a box of Capri Sun all over the walls of the uh, of the altar? Like that just, I, that one stuck with me because it was like, you know, there's a lot of stuff where it's sort of what they're talking about. It's sort of understood that there's going to be a fair amount of blood involved, you know, when you mm-hmm. cut the diaphragm out of any kind of animal. Like, you know, some... Some stuff's gonna leak for sure, but like the the idea that you would like kind of like make a little opening into this thing and then just sort of like get your hands around it real good and like <laughs> tag tag up the side of the the altar with its blood. Uh, that I mean, I I'm sure people could argue that it is reverential, but I I'm kind of struggling with. I feel like it's that. not it's not purely reverential. It's like it's like just an acknowledgement, maybe more of the stakes. In general, it's like because you can't see that much blood and not think about life and death, and that's well, I mean that's kind of what you're asking people to do. Okay, yeah, right. It's, it's reverence like, if the if the like the pigeon was cool and would recognize that it was metal as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every, that's 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 how all the pigeons want to go. They gather with each other and just be like waiting to be squeezed. Yeah, <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> Yeah, dude, pigeons just... squeeze me. Pigeons want to be squeezed. I mean, they're so—they are very soft, and it's like when. Have you, you touched a pigeon, Aaron? I have. How just did that birds, happen? Like birds. Okay, like birds. Dogs. I've touched a bird. I've touched like a, a chicken. Bird. Are they're just so soft? And they are soft. Like, yeah, they're soft on the feather part, but then you the can't claw help part. Just wring their little. Necks. I mean, it just like reminds <laughs> you of how much power you have. Like when you're holding this like little chicken or this duck, you're just like, wow, this cute little duck, and you could you could kill it right there, but you just like want to hold it like it's your little child. But then you also eat it, right? <laughs> right. But then they do squeeze it. Um, Aaron, oh, well, here's you, a question. You massage it, you know. For you, is it, were you saying there are people who are literally trying to rebuild the temple and like bring back animal sacrifices? Yeah, uh, yeah yes. I want to go there. there I are, absolutely want to go there. There are, there are, uh, I mean, let me, I mean, uh, given my politics, I'm pretty far left, but I, I will acknowledge even within Israel, like the people who really want to build the third temple are are a fringe within Israeli society, but they're a very powerful fringe. And I, I see that anyway. Ooh, I don't want to hear powerful fringe. That doesn't, those aren't words I want to hear <laughs> together. Yeah, that's pretty alarming. 
Well, that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the reality we have to live with, right? Yeah. It's my favorite subgenre of metal is power fringe. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so. So they, so how literal are they, like, I mean, to me, any group of when I go to Israel and see Israelis there, I mean, you in Israel, it's kind of an interesting country. The way someone dresses, you can kind of make a pretty accurate guess as to what their politics are. So if they have like really long payas or sideburns, they're not but without a black suit. It means a certain dress of like religious Zionist. And then within religious Zionism, which is basically like to summarize, it's like we need to bring choose you to be able to live in the West Bank or what they call Yehuda Shomron or Judah Dea and Samaria, which is where a lot of these events took place in the Bible you read about. I mean, their, their claims aren't baseless. Um, we should acknowledge that at least, I think. Before we refute them, we need to acknowledge the grain of truth that they have. But um, they basically believe like they, they they're, they're, they're very, they want a third temple, right? They want some sort of Jew, they want to be able to at least at the lowest level extreme, be able to regularly pray at the Temple Mount, which is really going to really get under the skin of Muslims who, I mean, rightfully see themselves as under occupation, who religious Zionists say this is like, we just want to pray at our old temple for those who really hope to one day rebuild a third temple and have sacrifices, as they believe this will entry and end the Age of Peace in the Messianic era. Wait, so do they do the sacrifices? No, but there, I mean, I have seen images where there were quote-unquote Kohanim, like, sacrificing goats and, like, to prepare for the... Oh, but they want to. Their excuse would be like, hey, man, we don't have a temple yet. You don't just willy-nilly go squeezing fucking pigeons in the neighborhood. But, like, give us the opportunity to... Squeezing pigeons in the neighborhood. My friend. (laughs) Yeah. I I grew my thumbnail out just for this. Yes. I think I no, mean, that guy's a cokehead. Technically, <laughs> technically, they're supposed to wait for Messiah to come, but um, I mean, this is kind of sometimes. I mean, excuse me for my heresy, but this is like why I kind of like Christianity in a way because like Christianity in some ways kind of disproves this whole like materialistic notion of rebuilding a third temple, and then this whole like Christianity like in some ways to me refutes Zionism on multiple levels because Zionism is based on this very, for me, this very materialistic reading of the Bible. But um, that's just my interpretation of Christianity and I'm not Christian anyway. So anyway, we should have named this show. But I think, I think, I think any, I think any religious extremists for whatever, whatever reasons, how they were raised or their life was, they have a. They want the world to be a certain way, and they're excited for certain events to come about, right? But they they're willing to smudge the lines a little bit for their own convenience. So it's like, oh well, the Messiah isn't quite here yet. Oh, but the state of Israel is established, therefore we can start praying at the at the Temple Mount and digging under the the dome of the rock to find remains of the two thousand year old temple, and and we can start doing things to kind of rebuild the temple, and we hope we'll rebuild the temple soon and. Um, and they, they don't really understand that, like the, the, that this is not just their own place, right? They have this kind of false piety, this kind of like, we are the pious Israelites who are going to return to our homeland, but it's just, I mean, I don't know. I just, it, it exists in various shades of gray, right? You have those who just want to be like, oh, I'm Jewish and I feel a connection to the land of Israel for whatever psychological, emotional reason. And I don't want to discount that, but it's just like, this is why you have to have reason at the end of the day is because you have to have reason to discern what are the cause and effects of these actions, right? Yeah, and you have to be able to put put your place, put it in, you have to be able to put it into context. You have to be able to put what you're doing into context if you're gonna, I mean, in general you should. Right, but when you believe that you're the chosen people to such an extent or your interpretation of chosenness goes to this extent that it causes harm to others, then it, it becomes problematic, right? And this is when you have a small group of very determined individuals with access to power, they can they can do a lot of damage and you put, this is just like one more drop of oil in the flame that is the conflict in Israel-Palestine. It's just like the last fucking, pardon my language, but the last fucking thing we need in this conflict are some people who want to carry out sacrifices in the Temple Mount. Or yeah. For real. Like the yeah. last thing you'd really need is like, all right, we're coming to like, 
You know, we're coming yeah. to some kind of agreement here, and a bunch of people are like, I got kidneys! <laughs> if I know way in. I'm sorry we desecrated your sacred site, but I have to kill some goats here now. This is just, um, I just I, need, I just have this psychological need to do this. Yeah. I'm imagining too, like, um, what kind of gaudy, like, horrible modern architecture they might choose. Or they oh, build the no. Settlement architecture is some of the ugly. I mean, I've been yeah. the West Bank. It's some of the ugliest buildings I've Wait, ever seen. Tell me about that. I want to hear about ugly settlement. I feel like, in a weird way, they're going to be probably somewhat analogous to the like. Um, do you know what? Do you know what like a, a gentrification apartment looks like? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what the, I was like, saying. Yeah, shipping container shit with the stupid not quite, metal. Letters. Not quite that, yeah. but like the the version that we've seen in in major cities all across America. That's like storefront on the bottom and then there will be these like metal panels that are invariably painted orange that are all very like right angle geometric um and then it'll be fucking five floors of shit fucking shitbird drywall or whatever the fuck it is with like mirrored glass on the outside and whatever and you're like you can step out on the street in minnesota and step out on the street in valencia street san francisco and essentially be be staring at the same building totally there's like imaginary stockholm yeah kind of vibe. imagine and like, i feel like settlement buildings are going to be their own genre of just kind of like sh- shipbird architecture imagine being a settler and like thinking you're like following in the steps of your forefathers and like you live in 28 f like <laughs> could never be me well, yeah. fuck out of here to be fair, a lot of the settlements, and I've been in a lot of these settlements, they're not super luxurious. Like, I live in a night, my the house I grew up in is nicer than a lot of settlement homes, right? But they have this notion that they are like these pioneers. I mean, this I think the pioneers of the American West, like, manifest destiny is the same mentality of like, we are simple, humble. I mean, this country is founded by the same ideology. When you hear these APAC conferences being like, U.S. and Israel share most so much in common. You you certainly do. You're yeah. founded by these like narcissistic pilgrims who like be like, oh, I'm living this simple, humble, pious lifestyle. Oh, I feel like Zionists would be so mad if you called their people pilgrims. <laughs> I mean, they're they're <laughs> fucking. I mean, not, they are. They're fucking pilgrims. Yeah. They're fucking pilgrims on the back of American tax dollars. And I always I almost sound like a anti-Semite saying that saying like. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think the other thing, too, that often doesn't get talked about in discussion, especially when you're talking about, like, claims of land and artifacts or whatever from 2,000 years ago, is, like, how much modern Western ideas have shaped what this conversation is over, like, I, you know, what what is a nation state even? This is a concept that hasn't been around for as long as we love to talk about it like it has um or and like all of these different things where it's like in some ways like having a talk about like you know what sacrifices can we can't do should we get access to the temple mount or should they're like having that conversation in your head this is not a conversation i have in my head seems almost like irrelevant because it's like yeah but back then there weren't things like the international criminal court and like there's all these different things that exist now that would like change what that is and i think rightfully have changed the way people view morality in a lot of ways you know i think uh like during this time i think it would probably be generally understood that like hey invading people who we have nothing to do with and killing all their shit was like not great but i don't think it would necessarily have the same oomph now as like now someone can do that and the whole world can be like what the fuck yeah what are you fucking doing yeah well, I think that, I mean, I think that whole thing, like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? I mean, one thing I notice and why you see a lot of, like, kind of, like, whataboutism with Israel-Palestine is, like, oftentimes hardcore Zionists will be like, why aren't you condemning, like, what Russia's annexing Crimea or China's oppression of Uyghurs in I China? I am, every day. Yeah, we, first of all, we do condemn it. And yes, I agree, I think there's a lot of tension to Israel-Palestine, but, like, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, justice is slow. Justice has to happen gradually, and justice doesn't just all happen at once. It's not like oh, all the solved problems of the world are solved at once, right? And I think, like, if that's your expectation, there will never be social justice. Like, the world is imperfect, including the implementation of justice. And I think justice can be implemented, but at the same time, we have to, like, just because, like, the world isn't, the world isn't fair, and the implementation of justice isn't fair. But, like, I'm not trying to cater to, like, the sensitivities of the oppressor to how they see social justice being implemented. Like, I'm sorry. Like I know like, uh, like Zion, like I've seen like Hasbaras on YouTube or like, well, 
my ancestors were Jews from Iraq who were expelled during the, the Farhud and the massacres. Like, it's a terrible tragedy, trust me. Like, any tragedy in Jewish history is a tragedy. And that's not a rationalization to just repeat the same fucking thing on Palestinians. Like, what a, like the, the, I feel like a lot of whataboutism in history is rooted in this reality that justice in life is unfair. And we ha- if we really want to implement social justice, we have to accept that it's somewhat unfair that, like, yes, maybe there's more bloodshed in Syria than what's going on in Israel-Palestine. And yes, Bashar al-Assad is still in power because he murdered hundreds of thousands of fucking people, right? But do you want to be Bashar al-Assad or are you going to be humble and let go of your ego and realize that maybe now is the time for, for to let go of our, of our need for this Jewish Disneyland in, in the middle of the Middle East, right? I don't want to be Bashar al-Assad. <laughs> Neither do I. Neither do I. I yeah. mean, the guy probably has a pretty good fucking life, but I mean, I couldn't live with that every day. It is weird how, like, the better your life is, the more likely you really are to be like, what if we just murdered all of them? It's true. The, there's the murder, I mean, the guy good is good life a, continuum. I mean, his father, his father did the same thing. I mean, like, Saddam Hussein did the same. If you're a fucking dictator dedicated to... Pursuing the, the 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 power of your of yourself and your clan, you'll do what you need to do to hold on to the power. Um, and I just think that like just because like, I mean, I just hate. Sorry, I, I'm going on a tangent here. I just hate the logic of what aboutism because if you keep on saying that like, well, what about this and inju- why aren't you talking about this injustice? First of all, you're acknowledging that you're perpetuating a social injustice. Second of all, if we keep playing about the whataboutism game, there will never be social justice anywhere. All right, not to not to do any whataboutism, but what about the thing where it says we can't drink blood or eat fat? Okay, so I have a couple things to say about both of those things. About a few things. Number yeah, yeah, one, yeah. it's... Okay, so... For a lot of people, so this is one of those things that I think because this tradition has ultimately evolved into like Christianity and then that came to sort of like inform what Islam is and all that stuff. I think depending on where you go and like what version sort of of we're really talking about Christianity in the case of like Europe, for example, of like what version of that came in and what kind of stayed and from the the traditions before that and what didn't, because I know here in America like the idea this wouldn't these are not like hard things to like necessarily follow especially the blood one like there's not a lot of people here being like blood that's my favorite but fat what about schmaltz you know chicken fat i thought that was a jewish thing well that's the other thing i'm talking about is i'm i'm for the listeners who don't know i'm also uh japanese and in asia like one of the ways you know a dish is going to be delicious is like the ratio of like white to pink in the piece of pork you're about to eat, for example. Like, they're not putting in, like, nice lean cuts of something into your ramen broth, all right? They're, like, it's going to be globules of delicious flavor and whatever. And I kind of am curious about, like, I wonder what aspects of, like, some of the, like, revulsion people have to certain foods and whatever partially comes from this. Because I can also see really good reasons why if you're walking around in the desert a lot, that like eating certain parts would maybe be not so smart. Just because you're sweating your little tuchus off. It, just because like the the blood gets all warm and it's kind of liquid. It's got water in it, so stuff grows in it quick quickly. You know what I mean? It's not like a, a hunk of meat where you can cover it up and like keep it somewhere. It can kind of just sit in the sun. Flies will come to it. They'll lay their eggs into it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like there are certain rules that reading it, you're like, oh, I get the sense that they were maybe just trying to smuggle in some like anti-multiculturalism like you know don't worship other idols worship oh you know our in our yeah. our, in our way or but this one strikes me as more of maybe just a health thing there were a couple really practical ones where it was like hey also it was like hey look if it's a peace sacrifice like a goodwill sacrifice you can leave leftovers for the next day that's totally fine you cannot eat those leftovers if they've been left for another day I also like that it's like, yeah, it's kind of. There have been a couple times we had leftover rules. Yeah, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of leftover rules. I also enjoy that 
the beginning of it is or it's just like listen i know we've talked a lot about like we're having a lot of fun spraying blood all over the place but like you know make sure not to drink it (laughs) yeah don't lick it off the walls yeah but it is mentioned that like you were saying that there are certain parts aaron that like there are parts that are for god and there's parts that are for us which I mean, if God's taking all the fatty parts and whatever, clearly God's got great taste. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, it says the fat is for Yahweh. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious. Like, is is there like a, in, anything that you've kind of like read or or watched or whatever? Is there any kind of like reasoning behind that for like what the fat might represent, or is it just kind of like these are the rules? Not that I know of, just one thing I will say is that I've heard that if something is forbidden the Torah, it means it was going on somewhere. So, for example, if like if like you're not allowed to sacrifice the blood or drink the blood, it means some other culture was probably doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So these texts are being written by priests or tribal leaders trying to form a communal identity. So if that tribe sacrifices blood, then well, let's 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 not sacrifice blood. Right. Or, for example, I know like like uh, like there's certain Sufi orders that would forbid smoking of hashish or marijuana or well, hashish is like kind of like not quite marijuana anyway. Or but you know that like it was going something was going on like that if it was forbidden, right? So right. it means like blood was part of the local ritual, and we know that these kinds of sacrificial rituals to different gods were very common at the time. That's backed by archaeology, and so. What we're seeing is that we're seeing really in this text also is the formulation of a communal identity. And part of that is, well, our community doesn't involve blood for, for this reason, because blood is contains the essence of life or whatever. So I'm saying this is kind of more of a, from an anthropology point of view, then I don't know what the relig- specific religious reasons are, other than I'm just kind of guessing like blood is seen as like the essence of life. I don't know what the fat represents, I'm sure. Rashi or some other commentator will have some explanation. I don't know the quick answer to that. Well, just a heads up. Some types of blood sausage are delicious. Fair enough. Really going to talk blood sausage again? We're going to run that one back? This reminds me because we're going to talk if I'm just going to bring up blood sausage again. But it does remind me that this is kind of our answer because I know we had asked in an episode earlier like whether or not you can eat or consume blood. And it seems like this is sort of the parsha saying that like we don't we don't do the the blood blood. Yeah, I mean even today yeah, they don't like cooking for a few extra minutes. You freak. I mean you're supposed to kosher meat can't have any blood in it. So part of the whole notion of kosher slaughter is that it drains out all the blood. And it's I mean it's pretty efficient cut to cut that the fact that you can actually cut a certain part of the body and then drain all the blood. I mean. That takes some good skill, and the fact is it takes a lot of training to get to that place. So. Oh, yeah, you can do it with people, too. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I actually wow. watched... I don't know why I said that, but no. I did, and it is true. You no, can do that with people, too. This is a satire, <laughs> yeah. satire podcast. I think it's very good that satire you said that. Podcast. I think it's very good that you said that, because I actually watched a shahita or a kosher slaughter, and for me it's very humbling, because I actually saw this like young uh, lamb get slaughtered, slit his throat slit, and the blood drained out, and then it died, then it got cooked. And I thought I, you were going to say you saw someone. I know. I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was humbling in the sense well, that, that lamb he was, like, was someone. Next, that yeah. lamb was someone. And like it, to me, it reminded me that, like, you know what? Like, in some ways, like, I'm no different than this lamb. I could just be cut up, and that's the end of me. I'm just yeah. a bunch of meat and flesh at the end of the day. So. Put on a pita. Yep. Just savored by me. I'm not going to lie. Part of me was like, yeah, I would taste pretty good. Okay, wait. (laughs) Do you think there are lambs? We've all wondered what human flesh tastes like. Do you think there are lambs that don't like cows or cows that don't like lambs that if they were to find out they were on like a big shawarma roll thing with a cow, with with one of these other species things, you know, they'd be like, fuck that. I don't think that's how animals interact a lot no, of the time. No, I don't think so. But you don't think so? I think they get scared, like... Schoolyard politics and barnyard politics, totally different. You don't think there's a no. a, a, a cow that's on, like, in... You in but like, you're asking if I think there are racist cows, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, are there racist cows? Are there specious cows that are like, listen, no no son of mine is going to end up on a goddamn shawarma with a, with a sheep. 
Well, that's I the think, question: Is he racist to sheep or is he racist to shawarma? I mean, I think <laughs> we never will never know. So I think like nobody's example, asking these questions. For example, on the on the African savanna, like different grazers realize like a zebra realizes that the wildebeest is not a threat to it, so they can tolerate each other's existence. At the same time, like horses have no problem being used as animals to help exploit cattle, right? You see many cowboys riding horses. Horses are class traders. Yeah, well, you don't you don't <laughs> see the horses. The horses don't really give a shit that they're being used mm-hmm. to herd the cattle, right? They just care that, like, they're fed and taken care of by the cowboys, and that's that at the end of the day, right? So Isn't that all we, we want to be... Isn't that all any of us wants to be fed and taken care of by a cowboy? <laughs> <laughs> when we started this episode, I didn't know we'd be getting into like Torah Animal Farm. Mm. <laughs> well, that's this might be different, folks. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get. Um, I liked one other thing I wanted to flag in this portion was there was like a minor um or there was like a useful concept they talk about for when someone bears like false witness against someone else, they say you have to and like, you know, some penalty happens you have to pay him back and then with some interest and i like that as an idea of like when you're making something right you should like making it making it the way it was before is only the minimum it's better to do you know to make it even better than you left it um and uh you know or actually even even more so than better than when you left it it's like the society being like no 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 you wronged this person right it's not just about i'm sorry here's your five dollars back it's like you you took the five dollars it was their last five dollars you fucked their life up for like i don't know three months or whatever it's not just give the five dollars back you yeah it's like it's there's a bigger harm than just the immediate thing you do to like the whole the whole body of the society and 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 at a certain point like it's within it's not just within but like the this because this is ultimately like a very spiritual society like the people who are in the spiritual realm within the society have like some duty to administer that justice right because it could also be very easily like no 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 we do the sacrifices we don't deal with arbitration like oh totally uh yeah where it's just kind of like someone did you wrong fuck did you bring a goat? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> right. And it kind of acknowledges that like there's like the religious dimension that, you know, makes things right in the moral spiritual world. And then there's the like you should also just pay people back. Like, yeah, you know, it's important to like mend both parts of the like rupture that you've caused. Yeah. And then that. I think also in terms of like building a society, like it's better to tie that kind of resolution or whatever, like to the religious practice so that it's like. It's not just that, like, hey, you did something kind of fucked up and you need to pay for it. But it's like what you did was actually like spiritually a transgression, which I understand also that like that's viewing it from a frame of me where like I can look at these kinds of secular things and these kind of religious things as separate. They probably weren't really viewed as separate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I did also think it was interesting. This portion, they talk a lot about being like clean and unclean things. Mm hmm. And there's a lot of fucking politics that I would say are bad, kind of tied up all into that. But I did also think it was interesting that, like, they mentioned that, like, if you touch the corpse of an animal, for example, that died, like, not that you slaughter or whatever, it's unclean. And you're, like, allowed to use its body for certain things, but you can't, like, eat it. And if you touch it, you can't go and like take part of the sacrifice or whatever without clean cleansing yourself first or whatever. And I thought that that was a really interesting thing too, because that was, that's a real tying together, like, and weaving together things that are like straight up just tradition. Like, you know, we view these things as unclean and whatever. And then also very, very practical things where it's like, look, man, you can't fucking put your hands in the dead cow rummage around and they're <laughs> looking for something and then just like join everyone for dinner. Right. And it doesn't have to be like, yeah, I feel like the initial red flag I have is like, Oh, you know, it's like anything in a Bible talking about people bodies being unclean is it's like, Oh, it must turn into homophobic stuff or, down the line. Or like or sexist, sexist stuff. stuff. Sexist I feel like more yeah. often sexist stuff. Yeah, that too. Um, but I feel like you know, we hear more about periods in this thing than anal sex. That's true. To be That's quite true. Frank. Like they couldn't even kind of imagine that that was like happening. <laughs> I did yeah. look up yeah. to see even, whether that's the only reason you that, couldn't even imagine. I love that. That's the only reason that they, it doesn't come up is because they, no one, no one in that writers' room thunk it up. 
no one was creative <laughs> enough. Um, they were just you know doing the same old same old stuff. But no, I, I guess the the one the one point I was just gonna have was just that like it doesn't have to be that bad stuff and like you know wanting to tie your morals to living well to treating your body well like you can integrate it all right and, and there that's, are a and lot that's of like, like that's not a misguided valuable traditions yeah surrounding washing hand washing all sorts of washing no i think i think generally like you'll you'll it's weird because like being unclean is one of those things that uh sits squarely in both camps of like it could be very very practical what you're talking about or it could just be some like weird fucked up bullshit that's just like i just don't like these people so therefore they're unclean um yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think it also becomes difficult too especially since they, it sits so well in both of those categories that like those ideas are kind of intertwined so you can like see something and be like oh okay that is a good idea don't touch everybody else's food after you've been digging around yeah. in an animal but Looking also don't do it if you touched poopoo no, that's that's also a good rule, John. Pee pee. <laughs> but just like also, if you like touch someone who's like an outcast of society, therefore, like, right? You know. Well, that that's when it gets not so nice mm-hmm. and not so it admirable. Slide into cast. Yeah. Awfully quick. Oh, that was the thing I was going to mention though. Not that's not related at all. But I did look up to see if Leviticus was technically the sexiest book in the Bible because it's a lot of rules. <laughs> And you know what? Well, no, was just, I looked up references to sex by book. Oh, oh, I see. And Leviticus, I can say it totally firmly. No one can can really even refute it. Not that sexy. Oh, it's only like time. a couple. There's only a couple. They, Damn. There's a couple other books where they're like, no, 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 we're we're leaning full horny. Uh huh. Um, and I think that's good that you know. Every foundational text should be. They won't even bit. let people access the fat on the meat, which is the sexiest part. Damn, that's true. You know, um, should we talk it. about? I feel like we've mostly talked about this first chapter with the sacrifice. Should we talk about the second chapter? Oh, with where the... they do the sacrifice? <laughs> yeah, good. Point. Where it's just like do what we just talked about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Imagine if the first half of like the 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 sequel movie that you've been waiting for is just the the latter half of the first one, or just like a one was a preview and then it's like when you see all the jokes in the preview of the movie, yeah, and you're like, oh, I remember that. Oh, just the only thing I would just mention is there's this kind of hilarious scene where two what I can only assume to be like at least a hundred and two old men like get in front of the entire community and one of them is like i'm gonna wash him and he's gonna be holy and everyone is like tight <laughs> scrub him down <laughs> scrub him down and get then they like the make a, they make a whole big ceremony out of like putting all the clothes on him and whatever and everyone is kind of in this like whoa this is kind of a big deal and then they're like now bring out the fucking animals because things are gonna get real fucking dirty <laughs> man I, I always feel weird like I just not want to be the sheep in this situation, just kind of sitting there and being like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. You would know something is amiss. Yeah. <laughs> like, why am I here? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Also imagine being like a, like an unassuming kid at this time. I was, yeah. <laughs> like, Oh look, they're bringing all the sheep. I love sheep. Oh, what's with the knife? Yeah. But when you're a kid, you see that once and you're traumatized and then you're like, well, yeah, well that's, that's what they do. So that's true. Maybe, People adapt. maybe next time be a grown up. Yeah, do we have any yeah. does anyone have any final thoughts on on what we've on what we've read on what we've discussed? Um I guess we could I don't know. I don't even know if I even can put this into the context of whether to keep it or cut it. It's just kind of there. Oh, I'd keep it. Yeah. Well, yeah, why? Yeah, I think it's like sufficiently different and kind of challenging enough to be interesting in the sense of just like what do we do with this and i think that has provoked some more interesting questions than the ones that are merely just like truly boring or nothing happens or just sort of like morally off like this is kind of like okay like this is it kind of i don't know at least for me it like forced me to like think about forced me to have an opinion about it which is more than some parts of the torah have yeah all right I would actually kind of agree with that because in a in a weird way, it's like it's talking about something that's very much tied up in the morality of the story and of the what they're writing and whatever. But it also has like in terms of our modern 
sensibilities it's like doesn't really have much to do with it like i don't really know the morality of like separating the diaphragm from the kidneys or like you know squirting the blood out of a, a pigeon onto a wall like we just don't really do those things anymore and we don't really like if that's how you like do it then that's how you do it but we wouldn't necessarily ascribe like a moral uh value to doing that after you kill a pigeon or, or not doing it so i think it's it's just interesting sort of as a little like slice yeah into the uh yeah the, that's the what, realm yeah i was gonna say like i'll i'll allow it i uh i hope deuteronomy impresses me more next round so um leviticus yeah shit um let's restart the whole thing no <laughs> yeah, scrap hopefully uh, leviticus impresses me more as we go on but I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what she does. She's a, she's a scrappy young upstart, um, Leviticus, and don't you dare try to Leviticus me. <laughs> hey, I'll fire myself. Yeah, <laughs> see ya. You can still be producer. Yeah, yeah, you're just. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so ridiculous if that was a thing we did. Like, just <laughs> kicked you out of the hosting chair, but still made you edit. For it. saying Leviticus, Leviticus, Leviticus me on the lips. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Got yeah, any finals? I'd say keep it. I think I think part of the one of the beauties of the Bible for me is that it contains a lot of weird, awkward, tough texts to wrestle with, and I think the more we're willing to just accept these texts as they are and wrestle with them, the more wisdom we gain from it. So I say keep it. I think part of the purpose of life is to wrestle with the with the challenging, complex things, and, and part of that is is the bible so keep it yeah keep it keep it all right we're keeping it um we're keeping it wow amazing that this one made it in i know i thought i thought leviticus Leviticus was gonna be just all cuts we all wanted to impress aaron oh certainly certainly (laughs) um with a slightly deeper cut than like that's true yeah um true aaron this is uh do you have anything you want to promote by chance i know I don't know any anything any cause you wanna you wanna bump up want people to give their support to is kind of when we do that. Um, the one we have to solve first before we solve all the other ones. That's true. Well, and what, yeah, what about whatever you're about to say? Because yeah. I think that's gotta focus on that. <laughs> I'll just say Black Lives Matter. Yes, I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. Um, which is why it's gonna feel worse when I say that if you like what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else matters oh, giving us five no. stars no 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 cut, cut cut <laughs> jesus christ fellas no bad um but yeah um you know positive reviews go a long way <laughs> tell a friend about the show too if you're if you're vibing out to it and you f- remember that you have a friend that is also jewish or, or not or whatever but yeah it's i like, mean honestly i, I would, would like, like to uh, d- just like appeal to sort of like people who are this show should be good for people who are just kind of like generally grew up like religious but maybe not necessarily like you know super deep involved in it but we're always kind of hearing these stories or similar kinds of stories and whatever like you know that's I feel like that's an experience you could bring to this show and, you know, appreciate what's happening here. Yeah, and write to us, smitemepodcast at gmail.com or, you know, send us a message on the Instagram. But we want to hear about, I don't know, if, if this podcast has set off any thoughts in your brain or you just have comments i'm we're curious oh this was your torah portion send us you know some of your hot takes from when you were 13 yeah or if your torah portion is gonna be later in leviticus or if, if it was just a real rule heavy torah portion about like blood and guts and, and pimples and oil or whatever um <laughs> we didn't even get to talk about the charcoal briquettes no they seemed outy one of those um yeah send it along all right, that's the fucking show. Everybody, go. And and, and and we're begging you, please smite me. <laughs> <laughs> At some Just point. Just this one. Just this one.